Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, your host of the weekly Wake Up With Spirit show, brought to you each and every week by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Um, we uh, have several things going on at Spirit Seeker right now. Number one, um, it's, it, we are still printing the print magazine in the Midwest, but for the most part, things are closing down again. Even uh, in St. Louis, restaurants will be closing again uh, per the mayor's order quite soon. So where we are right now is you can find us at the Whole Foods, and you can find us in a few other locations. There aren't events, so we're not there. But what we've been doing is growing our, um, our email listenership. And uh, so please join our email newsletter uh, list and we do not sell your your name or information. You will only hear from Spirit Seeker, um, and that's maybe once a week. We let you know who the guests are on the radio show. We let you know when the magazine is online, and um, and that's uh, that's how we're com- communicating more and more. I found uh, even Oprah's magazine is going totally digital. It's one of the things we're considering. But it's hard after 24 years of publishing and holding it in your hand um, to go totally into the digital world. But that may be coming. We'll keep you posted. So if you're part of the email newsletter, um, email subscriber, let's put it that way, then you will also have opportunities to um, win free books and uh, used to be tickets to events, but not right now. Uh, we'll be doing more, working with more digital events and letting the readers know about that. All right, so send an email to info at spiritseeker.com to be added to the email list or go to the Spirit Seeker website and there's a large spot right there. It'll say join our email newsletter. And um, that way we can communicate with you and let you know um, all the wonderful things that are going on um, in different ways. All right, so uh, this, this program today is going to be very inspirational and insightful. Um, I, uh, my guest is author Glenn Epericio Perry. He will be discussing his new book, Original Politics, Making America Sacred Again. So who is Glenn Epericio Perry? He is a very interesting person who has his hands in a lot of things. He's a writer. He's an educational consultant, international speaker, and entrepreneur with a vision to reform thinking and education into a coherent, cohesive whole. From 1999 to 2011, he organized and participated in the groundbreaking language of spirit conferences, bringing uh, together Native and Western scientists in uh, dialogue. The founder and past president of the Seed Institute, he currently runs a think tank and regularly moderates dialogues. Isn't that lovely in this day and age, people having dialogues um, and differences of opinion, but that's where the that's where the power is to hear one another. Um, at any rate, he'll be talking more about that. I'll be quiet. So he is also the author of the Nautilus Award-winning um, original thinking of radical revisioning of time, humanity, and nature. He lives in uh, northern New Mexico. So let's bring him on without further ado, and we will hear his thoughts this morning. 
So good morning, Glenn, and thank you so much for being my guest today. Good morning. How are you? Are you? Oh, I'm here. I am. Can well. you hear me? Yes, I. Yeah. I can. I can. Yeah, we're clear. So, um, so since you wrote this book, I mean, so much is changing every day. So, so I'm going to let you just dive in and um, and sh- if you would share though, like what, the, how this book came to be, because I know you're always. Uh, thinking and you're in dialogue and your mind is expanded, you know, with your think tank, et cetera. But, but what was the catalyst um, that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm just putting this to paper and sharing this with people. Well, uh, thank you for asking. It really is the work of the ancestors. You know, I, I almost can't answer Mm -hmm. your question because, you know, I, I do my prayers and, and, uh, and they are, uh, they give me the direction of where to go. Um, and I often um, seems like I'm given assignments that I wonder at first sounds very daunting. <laughs> so uh, um, original politics, for instance, required me to become a, a historian. I wasn't a historian. And usually it's not something you just acquire. You, know, you can't go to the grocery store and, pick up a package you 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 have to put in the work um and um i did know that uh native america had influenced the founding of the united states but but uh i just knew a little bit about it um uh mostly from native people as an as as via oral tradition but i Uh I came in contact with a with a uh, a man who lives in Albuquerque, Stephen Sachs. Um, uh, is, is, he has a spiritual name, uh, Mukit Sufi, um, but uh, Stephen Sachs is his author name, and uh, he was a political scientist, and he had worked very closely with LaDonna Harris. Um, I don't know if you know LaDonna. You, you ought to. She's an incredibly impressive Native women who who uh, used to be married to Fred Harris um, and was the person singularly responsible, really, the, or, the, or the person most responsible for returning Blue Lake to the Taos Pueblo. Um, and uh, she she really knew how to how to navigate Congress in in in, in beautiful traditional ways. Um, and. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Stephen Sachs introduced me to people like Bruce Johansson, who wrote his doctoral dissertation in the 1970s on the influence of Native America on the founding of the United States. He wrote a book with Donald Grindy later called Exemplar of Liberty. Um, and uh, uh, that, uh, the subtitle is Native America and the Evolution of Democracy. That book was written in the early 90s, I think, and, and lambasted by Rush Limbaugh. And then Bill Clinton bought 535 copies of that book um, and gave it one to each member of Congress. Um, wow. uh, but still, it didn't really penetrate the consciousness of the people. Still today, the most common reaction when people read my book, Original Politics, is that I had no idea about this. I had no idea uh-huh. that Native America influenced the founding of the nation you know, so all of these factors came into being, but of course, the way the country is now was a big factor too. And 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 subtitling the book "Making America Sacred Again" is obviously a play off of 
Donald Trump's Make America Great Again. And I saw this at the time when it's a time when the when uh, healing was needed. And I always was conscious of that my purpose in writing this book was to be an agent of healing and an agent of part of healing comes from just putting what's going on in the present in a larger context. And, and uh, that is indeed, I think I accomplished that. That's certainly what I set out to do. Well, and you know, you, you did share this in your book, but I just wanted to, you know, hear it from your, from your, your, um, your mind, but I do want to read this one part um, and this is a good, and, and the preface actually, and it's uh, Red Hawk is quoted here, and he says, "What uh-huh. Nazis seem to realize is the extent that Native America has made this country it is this country. This country is built upon the land of my ancestors, the blood, sweat, and tears of my Native brothers and sisters. It is from the living philosophy of Native America, not from books that your founding fathers learned about liberty uh, and justice." They saw the way we live, took our ideas as their own, at least the ones that served them, and gave us no credit. And then they moved us out of the way or killed us. I mean, that's mm. pretty, I mean, you know, it says everything right there. And, but, but let's talk about, let's talk about this just a little bit, because I think the average American, myself included, until, you know, you, you, you know, brought this book uh, to all of us. I, I didn't ever really think about how much that had affected our pol- uh, politics, but it makes sense. Well, yeah, and thank you for, for bringing up the preface. I kind of missed the cue there. I could have mentioned the preface of the book from your first question. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, was, I was blessed by, you know, to, to, to take a Amtrak trip across the country, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and when I did that, um, I was traveling alone. I was going to a conference called Honoring the Ancestors of Ancient America. And, and, and they, what Amtrak would do is they'd give you a reservation to dine. You know, it's not because of the place is a fancy place. It's because they only have so much space, you know. And so you have a reservation, right. a time slot to dine. And then, and, then, um, uh, and then if you're traveling alone, they would randomly assign you other folks. And so I... I got to have a deliciously cross section of America, and, and I and I had this one meeting with a with an African gay African American poet from Albuquerque, and a Trump supporter who was from Kansas, and and also a Native American, you know, and so this was a true cross section of America, and the Native Native American person was very wise and withheld his comments till the end where you were just reading and said a lot more too. And like I said, I already had known something about this, you know, from maybe mostly from oral tradition, but there's been a lot of documentation, very well-documented books uh, um, that were really commissioned by native people. Um, And, uh, it's indisputable, and you know, I mean, if I can share just a little bit with your with your listeners, you know, here's just think of this. First of all, the very idea for uniting for the colonies came from Chief Canastego, the Onondaga chief, from the Iroquois Confederacy or the Haudenosaunee or people of the Longhouse. It was on July 4, 1744, that he tells the colonists that they should unite. 
that they should that they should never fall out with one another. Um, uh, the reason why he was there to tell these colonists had to do with Ben Franklin being being assigned to be Indian commissioner um, and to forge a military alliance with the Haudenosaunee. Now, the Haudenosaunee had made their own pact of peace very long time ago, like most, by many estimates, 1132 A.D. So they'd been. They'd been, they'd been this very successful confederacy, and they made a pact of peace among their, their nations, you know, the Cayuga, the Oneida, the Seneca, the Mohawk, and the Onondaga originally, and they added the Tuscarosa later. They made a pact of peace among their nations, but they were a very feared military power, and they controlled the territory that went up the what's known to us as the Hudson River. They knew it as the river that runs both ways. Um, and and uh, because they controlled that, they were a huge military power. I mean, for people who read about the Erie Canal, the reason why the Erie Canal was so important when it came in later is because it took goods from that, you know, Manhattan Island, you know, up the up New York State and then all the way out to the uh to the Great Lakes region because the you know, the rivers connect that way. Um and and uh uh so this was really important, this military alliance. But it's because of that that Ben Franklin forges this friendship and that changes the course of history. When Chief Conestego asked the colonists to unite, he does so by using an example of arrows. He takes one arrow and he breaks it over his knee. Then he reaches behind him and takes a sheath of bundled arrows and he tries to break it over his knee. Of course, they don't break. And that's when Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin never remembered that. Everybody that was there um, obviously understood the meaning. Ben Franklin, many years later, incorporates it into the great seal of the United States. Of course, the eagle holds in his left talon those bundled arrows. Um, and that's just the beginning. You know, Ben Franklin had the huge role in drafting the true founding document of the United States, which has sort of been swept in the dustbin of history. But the Articles of Confederation are the founding document of the United States, not the Constitution. You know, I find it very strange. You know, these school children learn about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution as if 13 years in between, nothing happened. No, of course something happened. And, and uh and, and the, 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 the Articles of Confederation were, were ratified in 1781. France and Morocco recognizes the United States as a country right away. Um, and, and they go into effect, and they were in effect for eight, eight years. And, and uh, you, you know, there were eight presidents before George Washington. You know, you, you, unfortunately, you'll fail your uh, test for citizenship if you told them that. But, but they they were different kinds of presidents, and they they rightfully should be separated from the presidents Washington onward. But they still were presidents, and they they only the thing is they only had a one year term, and all their power was was derived from the legislature. There was only one body that it was the legislature. They had no other power other than that. Um, and it's only, you know, when Hamilton and Madison decide that they want to expand the power of the executive. And we're, we're wondering about how good an idea that was right about now, but you know, that we had the constitution <laughs> come into power. So, yeah. you know, it's, 
it, 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 it's it. And even the Constitution is also based upon the Iroquois Confederacy to a great degree. And I'll really quickly explain that. You know, they, remember I talked about the, the five original tribes? Well, the, the Seneca and the Oneida were known as the Younger Brothers. I'm sorry, uh, the Cayuga and the Oneida were known as the Younger Brothers. The Seneca and Mohawk were known as the Older Brothers. And the Onondaga were known as the Fire Keepers. They're comparable to the executive branch. In the Iroquois Great Law of Peace, an initiative began with the Younger Brothers. The Older Brothers had to concur. And then the Onondaga, or executive branch, could veto it. But the younger brothers and older brothers held steadfast in wanting to do what the initiative was. The veto would be overturned. And also they got Aichil, the, the founding fathers got, one of the most important things, Cindy, is that the founding fathers learned from the Haudenosaunee the concept of impeachment. Now, now some people will dispute what I just said because it's true right in the Federalist Papers that the Founding Fathers credit the idea of impeachment to European government. But have you ever considered in Europe you could not impeach the king? You could not impeach the king. Uh, but in Native America, it was the Haudenosaunee women who were the wisdom council that nominated the male chief and had the right to remove him by taking off his deer antlers, the symbol of authority, if he, if he committed any act of malfeasance. That was well known to, to George Washington, to Thomas Jefferson, to Ben Franklin, to Thomas Paine, and other founding fathers. And so I think they got at least in part, and definitely the, the, the very idea perhaps for impeaching the president, I think comes into their their thinking from native america um and uh, it's what they did not take though all they they didn't take they didn't they, they ignored how in, in the native societies women had a very integral role in the political process and obviously they ignored the role in continued slavery so they ignored the role for people of color and that's created the american shadow which Here's the, the strange thing about Donald Trump. I'm grateful to him in this regard. You know, remember Donald Trump said, I've done more for black America than any president. Well, in a very yeah. twisted way, that could be true because, because what he's done by, by unleashing, he's been a catalyst of the American shadow. He's unleashed forces. He's given them license to act out in ways that, that have shocked me and shocked a lot of America. But because of that, there's been an awakening. There's been an awakening and a realization of seeing America as it really is. And that's, there's the opportunity to make change. You know, it's, it's very right. I mean, I said that from the start. I said all of the, all of the darkness, well, not all of the darkness, but I, just, I said he is going to bring all of our stuff up. And we're all going to just have to really, you know, look at it. And that's exactly, you know, what has happened. And um, and it's not pretty. I think that we're seeing the underbelly, this this dark side of the United States. Like, who knew that there was this much prejudice? I mean, we know it. We know that there's racism, you know, but, but you just don't realize. I mean, I, I remember in the 60s, you know, I was like, you know, only years old, but I remember, you know, my cousin 
very upset because she lost her job because um, because of quotas. You know, they had to have so many, you know, diversity in the workforce. And, I mean, look how far that was long ago, and here we are still just, like, wrestling with it. But, but I do believe that um, – that what you're saying about women, I mean, women have been awakened. I mean, there are, I, I had never marched before, you know, like five. I had never been a political person really until 2015 and 16. And ever mm. since I feel like I haven't mm. stopped. So I'm, I'm mm. learning. I'm like a late, late political person. And I have a group of um, women that I've met and that's, they've been my, you know, my guide. I listen to them and I've learned from them and the power of women being unleashed is just pretty amazing. So the, when it, women marched on every continent after, you know, Trump was put in office, they saved, they saved, by the way, signs, museums all across the country um, and the world saved those signs because it's a, it was a historical moment. Um, and I did know about the Native American women who were able to, I, I didn't look at it as impeached, but I guess it is, remove a um, a chief who was too warlike or was not, you know, implementing, um, wasn't, wasn't healthy with overzealousness or whatever. Um, and I think that that's a check and balance. And right now it just feels like our checks and balances are missing. Yes. I mean, I know, and I, just, I mean, I know we have the branches, but you go ahead. You're the expert here. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I don't like to be an expert, but I, but I, I have done the research. I mean, you know, here's, here's the thing. Um, what you're talking about is really, really important. Um, and just so your listeners are clear, it wasn't just that the Haudenosaunee women nominated the male chief and that's the end of their participation. Not at all. You're talking about war. For any war treaty or any war or treaty to be enacted, two-thirds of the women council had to agree. Um, the women had an integral role. If in any time um, uh, the women were dissatisfied with how things were going, they could call a grand council and they would assert that they would join in and assert their their uh, authority. They were basically the wisdom, the wisdom council, so that were giving the men the power to enact things on their own. And I always laugh when I say this, but I think that is the most beautiful way to merge masculine and feminine partnership. Because men, men are very good at getting things done, but we need direction. <laughs> you know, it's just, and, and, and yes. <laughs> yes, and we're, and we often don't ask for direction. You know, I, you know, it right. starts very early, you know, so, 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 so um, when you, when you have that kind of uh, uh, partnership, it works. Now that's not, we're never going to have that kind of a gender role differentiation in America. And that's not what's happening. Instead, what's happening is women are coming into office and it did begin on day one of the, uh, uh, well, let me let me backtrack a little bit. The the in the nineteenth century, I'll come right back to Trump. But it, another thing that people don't realize is how much the Haudenosaunee or Iroquois women affected the first suffragists of the United States. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, and Matilda Gage. They were all living in Haudenosaunee territory near around Rochester, New York, what's called Rochester today. Um, and uh, um, and and it was it was then that that uh, 
the 19th century women got the courage to ask for equal rights. And they weren't just asking for the right to vote. They were asking for complete equal rights. How did they ask for equal rights? Because in the 19th century, American women, um, Euro-American women, had almost no rights once they were married. They became dead in the law, as Sally Roche Wagner has written about. They had no legal existence. Okay, so if they were mm-hmm. to leave their husband, they would be returned to them, just like runaway slaves were returned to a master. This is the way it was. They, if they were to separate from their husband, they they would lose custody rights to their children. They had no right of divorce. They could never divorce. Um, and uh, uh, and so uh, women had essentially no rights. And so out of this, how in the world did they come up with the idea of asking for equal rights? Yeah, I mean, 19th century American women right. could not speak out loud in church. Okay, so they, they really had no rights in a lot of ways, and yet they asked for equal rights. And they did that because they were living next to the Haudenosaunee women who were completely equal in their society. And that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, so, yeah, go ahead. You yeah, know, I want to come back to the present, but, but yeah. you go. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I just want to say, I remember my mother-in-law, um, you know, sharing that she couldn't have a bank account. I mean, and, and I saw a reenactment of Elizabeth Cady Stanton, you know, uh, one of my friends actually does, she, she does a performance with her with a historical um, history, and she dresses up like her and everything. Uh, her name is Rebecca now, and that's one of the things is that you back in that time, even if you made money, it you didn't get to keep it. You could not keep your own money. Women were not allowed to have their own money. It was just it was crazy when you think about it um, that we were basically property. Women were property. Well, and they yeah. belonged to either their father or their husband. There was no in between, really. Yeah, yeah. Well. That's putting it bluntly, but, but I did, truly. And we don't have, well, we it, don't have to go back to the 19th <laughs> century. We just have to watch I yeah. Love Lucy, you know, and 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 know that you know your 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 mother, I'm sure, you know, wasn't able to have a bank account. I mean, it was really not until the, you know, until around the time I was born, the 1950s, 60s. That, uh, it might have been 1970s when women were able to have a bank account without their husband or some other male figure signing, co-signing with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's just fascinating. I did not realize that the suffragists, the original, the ones you named, I did not realize that that was the influence. That should really be shared. Like, that, that, that should be, like, taught in every history book. Well, yeah. You know, so what, fast forward to the present and um, – Thankfully, thankfully, look what happened. I mean, we, in, a, in, a, in an unusual way, we might have Donald Trump to thank. I mean, things work in strange ways, you know. It's, it's because he ran a, you know, a pretty openly sexist campaign against a woman uh, uh, that, um, that women got angry and marched, and not just in the United States, all over the world. Somehow it was, it was the world's largest uh, movement, and it led to the Me Too movement, which really changed the world in very, very dramatic ways, shifting balance of power. And uh, for the first time, men, some 
powerful men were held accountable for things that they were never held accountable for before. Um, and and then uh, and then that was superseded by the I don't use Trump anymore. I've eliminated from my vocabulary. But that was superseded, you know, surpassed by the Black Lives Matter movement became the world's largest movement in the world. And in both cases, I would say that that was. Those were strong examples of the American shadow. Our sexism and our racism came out of the closet in a way, and that was super ugly. I mean, Charlottesville was mm-hmm. the ugliest thing I've oh. ever imagined, and I'm I'm part Jewish, so I was, you know, and uh, I was shocked by what happened at Charlottesville, and I shouldn't have been because the KKK had merged anti-Semitism and anti-Black sentiment for a long time since the 1920s, but I was shocked. I, I just didn't think that could happen in America, but it did. And it mm-hmm. did because right. it was always there. It was just unleashed. But so right. there's a negative and a positive. We're, uh, we're, we're bridging that right now. Well, and sorry. <laughs> do you, I get excited. No, 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 no. Well, no. And I just feel like we haven't stopped. Those of us that are, you know, seeing it, it, you know, yes, we've got this this new reality and this new thing, but every single day, Glenn, you know what I'm talking about here, I know. Like, I just feel like we've been on the front lines, and, you know, it. I loved how you posted the pictures the other night from your walk, and I looked at that, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, he went for a walk with friends. Like, you know, so many of us have been isolated, you know, during this pandemic, and even the pandemic is affecting politics. Like, I thought the the oh, convention, yeah. the Democratic convention, I thought it was powerful. You know, mm. I it was so intimate, you know, like in your living room, you know, and, you know, me and like the cats, you know, <laughs> like watching it. You know, I guess I, you know, I, I, I live alone. And I just thought, wow, just the wisdom, you know, and then John Kasich uh, uh, talking. But, you know, I didn't realize the thing about AOC was only given like a short time and I missed that I, I'm moving this week so I came in late a couple of the nights with um, the convention because I had helpers here and you don't you don't say no when you have people helping loading things and carrying things but um but yeah. like you know where do you where do you think I mean right now with women awakened you know and women of color are coming into their own I mean we had in St. Louis I mean we had this this guy in office for I think 30 years and this this new gal knocked him right out of the office and no one ever thought, and we all wrote postcards for her. And, you know, that's what we do. It's called postcards and conversation. We used to meet in person every Tuesday morning and we would write postcards mm-hmm. to support local um, political candidates, you know, starting at the, at the, at the local level, which of course then, you know, increases awareness and on we go. Well, we can't meet in person anymore. So now zoom is the new world. You know, we meet, um, and we have been actually inviting different political candidates in the state of Missouri to come and speak with us. And, and we have like moderators and they, they research the questions from the group. And it's just very, I, I, it's very interesting how women are reshaping politics. And I think, I think you're right. Like men, that's why you do it. Give them a honey-do list or whatever. Men like to be guided. Like if, and, and I think that's where we all have to work together a little bit more. Um, so where do you well, see yeah. – just take off wherever you want to go. Like you, there's so much information in this book. Like even 
you know, the history of how the seal was made. I mean, there's just so many different things. So you go wherever you want to go, Glenn, and I'll tag right in with you. <laughs> well, you know, I I want to be careful to say this, though. You know, I mean, there's a there's a feminine and a masculine aspect in every person. So, you know, mm-hmm. there are effective male politicians who have a uh, developed feminine side. I would say Joe Biden has that. You know, I mean, and it, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's uh, um, having a heart, having a, a lot of compassion. I'm not trying to say he's the perfect uh, uh, candidate, in fact, but I've been I've been uh, uh, surprised that uh, what I see happening is, you know, a lot of um, a lot of people wanted to dismiss Joe Biden as an insider that couldn't possibly bring any innovation, um, but. That's not the way politics works. Politicians ultimately are a reflection of the people. That's true with Donald Trump, and that's really hard for people to to take in. But I, I want to come back to that in a minute. But hopefully, they're a reflection of the need. You know, Joe Biden might be a reflection of the need right now for some basic caring and compassion. Um, and and that that might be what we need at this at this juncture. But it could be beyond that. It could be that there's a wave mm-hmm. happening, and that wave that wave takes on its own life. And when that when the people change, then the politicians change. So I, I make this point very carefully because I end this book with love, and I could tell you. It's funny, I just looked at a letter I have which has a stamp on it called love as I was saying that word. There's no... Wow. Sometimes it's wonderful. <laughs> but, 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 uh, Spirit um, speaking, and, spirit speaking. Uh, yes, yes. Um, and and, and, and um, I end the book with love and, uh, and, and uh, I'm going to tell you a, a short story in a minute. And my next book is going to be called Original Love. Um, but uh, uh, the reason why I wanted to end the book with love has a lot to do with the fact that before going to love, we have to really restore respect and compassion, though. But um, in, in some indigenous cultures, love, the meaning of love is really closer to our meaning of respect. It's just seeing everyone as having a right to exist. And when I say everyone, that would include all of the natural world, too, including viruses. You know, so, you know, that is the that's what we really need to do. Um, because we have gone down a path, a road where we've, where we have um, privileged human beings above the natural world, that's taken us to a very incoherent and unsustainable place, um, where uh, we've got to the place we are with, say, for instance, climate change. Um, we need to change that because, and and. And this goes back to my first book. The biggest change we have to make has to do with changing our thinking. Our thinking is fragmented. And when you when you we think in fragmented ways instead of whole ways, we've created a fragmented society. We've created this society and we've done this in our politics for ever since Socrates really in the Western world, where we've privileged human beings above nature. And that might seem common sense to some people that politics would be about human relations, 
But ultimately, that that does not work because human beings are nature. You know, we could not be alive without the the, the breath of life that's coming from the trees, the oxygen that they give out to us that we and other mammals give back to them in a sacred circle. We could not be alive without living water, without healthy, pure, clean water. And we've really been playing with that um, in, in, in the modern world by drilling through water to try to get oil and despoiling water. We ultimately are just despoiling ourselves. I mean, climate change, when I talk about that in the book, I talk about it in a usually quite a different way than normally is addressed because I think we are the climate. So the question should not be whether humans are affecting the climate. Of course we are, and so is everything else. The question should really be what can climate change teach us? And what it can teach us is how we're a totally interrelated whole with all there is. You know, and because we've become so incoherent in our thinking and because we've 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 harbored this illusion that that our thoughts are just seeing reality the way it is, but really it's not that way. We've created a kind of an artificial world that we're separated from. Um, so it's not so surprising that we that we actually elected a trickster figure like Donald Trump, and that's what he is. He's a, he's an unwitting trickster figure. He, in, in native societies, you have Hayokas and Koshar, you know, uh, and Koshardes who have a sacred role that they're. And Trump, I would say, also has a sacred role, but it's an unwitting sacred role. Um, but it is one that is waking people up. But what we you know, if we want to be a little happier, we need a little more coherent leadership, and and that's it. But ultimately, we are all our politicians are a reflection of us. So we should never really get so angry at politicians because when we get angry at them, it's largely because there's a part of ourselves we haven't recognized, and so we see it in them. That's you know, it's in psychology, it's mm-hmm. projection. We see it in them, and we we get very angry about it, but, you know, we're a part of that. I mean, you know, there, there's people, there's people that, that have embraced the American dream of money. And, and, uh, and that's why they, they had some affection for Donald Trump, the entrepreneur. Um, I think you introduced me as an entrepreneur. I didn't know that was in my bio anymore. (laughs) But see, that's, that's what, that's, that's what that's what uh, you know so i i've done some things like that you know and and uh, um and and uh, we just have to i i had to take a hard look at myself you know when i'm trying to say if if donald trump is a projection of us how much is he a projection of me and there are parts of him that are that, that i have done you know and and uh, it's he may be more extreme case but but i've had to learn to be kinder you know and more compassionate mm-hmm. and and uh that's one of the things I, that that's one of the things that yeah. people have said that there's no compassion from this president and i think that that's the the the, the, the shocking part is that you know and i, I think joe biden <clears throat> excuse me makes a contrast totally you know between the two he's like his caring, his sympathy, his right there with people, his, um, I mean, it's, it's amazing. He lost his wife, his daughter and his son. I mean, that's a lot of loss. Yeah. And, 
yet, yeah. and yet here he is, you know. I mean, and Jill, yeah. you know, raising his children, and she's just like she's like their mother, you know. I mean, she is their mother. Oh yeah. And you know when yeah. you when you see like you know the I mean you've heard the saying it takes a village to raise a child and. You know, and it truly does because we all, you know, shape the little ones, you know, by our actions. And I think that when I think the whole thing with this last election and where we are today is people really did want change. And they're like, okay, it it hasn't worked in many people's minds. And then I also think, and I wasn't aware of this, I don't know how I couldn't be, but for eight years, a lot of people simmered over there was a black president in the White House. And that's where I think... I think Trump tapped into a lot of yeah. the, as you said, that other part that of, of us that, you know, I mean, I, I don't even speak to the one shadow. of my brothers anymore, which is, yes, the shadow, mm-hmm. because he couldn't under, he couldn't handle my light. <laughs> so we just agreed to disagree, but we just really, um, I mean, whole families, like the whole topic in 2016 is what, a, how am I supposed to go to Thanksgiving dinner when, I don't think like the rest of my family. And that's where I think a lot, it all started, you know? I mean, think about it. I mean, it didn't start there, but it just got exacerbated. I would encourage you to try to reach out to your brother. I know it's going to be hard, but, 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 you know, we have to have compassion, you know, have compassion for your brother, have compassion for Trump. You know, because you know, he, oh, I know every every human being every human being does what they think is right. You know, I mean, they just they 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 they, they create this worldview that justifies how they move through the world. And you know, the, I didn't I haven't read Mary Trump's book, but I've seen her interviewed. I mean, I have it on my Kindle someday. Maybe I'll read it. Uh-huh. But but uh, you know, apparently both from his father. And from later, Roy Cohn is a very strong influence, and that I have that I researched. You know, I had no way of researching what Mary Trump is talking about because I wasn't inside the family. Right. Um, but but mm-hmm. but um, you know, there was there was this inculcation of not showing weakness, and it's kind of sad, really. You know, because it's an extreme example of what um, some men in a very in a lesser way, it used to be it used to be that men could not show emotion, you know, for a very long time. Now it's almost reversed. I, I wrote about this when I'm writing about Hillary Clinton, and so male politicians yeah. are allowed to show emotion on the campaign trail, where female politicians, except for Hillary, Hillary because she was, you know, uh, so well known for so long, they, people actually liked it when they when she showed emotion. <laughs> And if she did, right. they, you know, she was too too controlled. Um, and so, um, you know, every person develops their worldview, and they they live within it. For Donald Trump, he thinks that he has to look out for number one. You know, I mean, he believes greed is good, right? I mean, remember the 1980s oh. Wall Street, the movie. You know, greed is good. Michael yeah. uh, Douglas. You know that he wasn't the only person. I mean, so, you know, when Trump was rising in the real estate world in the 1980s, that was the belief, you know, um, um, amongst a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, you, you know, that that's ultimately not a satisfying past that, you know, and I think that, uh, most people really have realized this, but some are still 
attracted to it in a kind of a way, you know, and so that that's part of the attraction of Trump and his, and he does have a certain kind of charisma, you know, like I, I compare him to Mussolini because they're very similar. They both have this kind of outsized ego that's cartoonish. You know, Mussolini would say that, you know, I would like to be wrong, but, you know, I'm, but I never have been, you know, and the, the only person that's uh-huh. infallible in Italy is me, you know, and they even look alike, you know, I mean, you know, with the chin uh-huh. out and stuff. So, but, but Trump, right. but, but it's ultimately, um, we have to find compassion in our heart for, for him. Let him go. I mean, I, I would be fine, frankly. Uh, um, I don't, you know, if he would resign tomorrow, um, I would be, uh, well, I would be okay with having criminal charges dropped as long as they weren't dropped for future crimes, <laughs> like what's happened with Nixon, because really he, right. he has caused a lot of damage in the country. Um, but anyway, I I expand too much. You you probably want to go delve into another area. No, <laughs> I just ahead. I just this is just it's like totally off topic, but. Um, but this is the truth. That's okay. okay. The truth. What, what is the truth anymore? Okay. But, but you know what I mean? Okay. So basically he hired Trump hired a neuro linguist because he had a fear of public speaking. He could only do like short talks at anything longer. Um, he just couldn't do it. And so he hired a neuro linguist and mm-hmm. they, um, they, they wanted to give him cues. Don't forget to talk about immigration. Don't forget to talk about this. Don't forget. Cause they had this whole plan on what they were going to do with the immigrants before he even went into office. So his thing with build yeah. the wall, like he, they would, they use that as, as a, a symbol, like to remind him, don't forget to talk about um, the immigrants. And so then of course he came out with, we're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it and all this. And after, after that, they're like, Hey, that is not what we said. That is not what we said. What we said is to use that as a reminder. I'm not kidding. And then look how far out of control this is now. I mean, that wall has um, never, hardly anything's been built. I mean, it's, it's just the lucrative money thing, you know, where they're exchanging a lot of money. They're repairing the wall, but a lot of money going toward it. But that's just so symbolic, though, how one little tiny thing has changed the whole course of our history in many ways. Yeah. Um, well, you know, your listeners <laughs> might not get the idea, but part of my book delves into the hardcore machinations of uh, politics um, and and, and looks at the Republican and Democratic parties and how they've reversed positions since 150 years ago. They they couldn't be any further from their origins. I mean, of course, the Democratic Party mm-hmm. was the party, the party that was for expanding slavery to new territories. The Republican Party was the party of Lincoln, but it couldn't be any further when you get to Donald Trump. And the Democrats couldn't be any further from Andrew Johnson and Andrew Jackson to Donald, I mm-hmm. mean, to Barack Obama, their last president until now um but yeah um there's a lot going on behind the scenes that may not be apparent like for instance republicans were able to piece together a a very unusual coalition you know that that came out of a few events happening in the 1960s with lbj passing civil rights legislation until then you know the democrats were arguably um the party of that was still the party of the South, 
they were the party uh, yeah. that had a lot of ties to racist elements. George Wallace is still a figure running for presidency in, in the late right. 1960s and early, and I think 1972 he ran too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and, uh, uh, but after LBJ passed civil rights legislation, what happened was, uh, it didn't happen right away, but with Richard Nixon's Southern strategy um, and uh, uh, other elements, the base of the Democratic Party, which was the Southern base, you know, uh, became the base of the Republican Party, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and then the Republicans had a problem, so they had to stitch together a coalition. And this may be cynical, but in a cynical but if brilliant way, somehow they were able to convince um, uh, people that they were the party of family values. And so they were able to get the religious right or create the concept of a religious right. Um, and, uh, and they pieced together this, this, this awkward coalition between super wealthy people and, uh, uh, and, and, and people of faith. Um, and they used abortion uh-huh. as an issue. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up to you is that I almost think that the Republican Party never wants to actually overturn Roe v. Wade because that takes away the the rallying cry. And in the same way, I don't think Trump wanted to actually create the wall. And and maybe he had the wherewithal to know that it never would get done. I mean, these things these things are nearly impossible to do. Even if you wanted to create a wall, you know, the wall is the wall would you'd have to the, the government would have to declare eminent domain. And uh, to try to push landowners into giving them their land, these things take years and years and years, and they and they mm-hmm. and, they're, and uh, there's no reason to actually worry that this wall is ever going to be built, and it would be a horrible thing if it were for, for the animals and for the the uh, native people who live on both sides of the border. <laughs> Never mind, you know. Um, right. But they don't worry; studies. it's not going to happen. Over, yeah. Right. Yeah. It, but, it, but it's once again, that's what gave him his overreach, in my opinion, of, um, of declaring it a, a crisis at the border. And then now his executive powers <clears throat> have enabled him to just go into the funds. Oh, well, we need this for the border. Oh, we need this for the this. And it's, it's like there's no there's no one managing um, the money anymore. It just feels like it's like he just. Well, I don't know. You talk about it in your book, though. You talk a lot about well, um, well, the, about, yeah. about uh, uh, Mussolini and Trump, and then you talk about uh, you know autocracy, and you talk about fascism, and even I did not realize that the uh, government seal was so similar to Mussolini's, um, the fascism seal. I didn't realize that the Great Seal of the United States looks so similar to the uh, Italian fascist symbol <laughs> on, the, on the on the uniforms. I mean, I looked That's at that and I went, scary, yeah? "Whoa." It's more than scary. It's like, who conceived this? Like, it's like, it, it is crazy. And then the separation of church and state, which was so important initially, and how that's gotten blurred with exactly uh, what, what you were just speaking about. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, these are different times. And I agree that, you know, I've always felt this, that, you know, we're all masculine and feminine, you know, like, and I was in my yeah. side for a long time, just like push, push, push. And then one day I went, wait a minute, 
And actually it was a very, it was like a spiritual epiphany. And it was like, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Babaji. It really doesn't matter. But, but he appeared in one of my yeah, breathwork yeah, sessions. Sure. And, and, he, and, he, and he just basically said, we are all masculine and feminine. And we must honor yes. both sides and get to know, get to know ourselves in that. And, you know, like I, there's just so much that has happened waking us in the last four years. And I think you're right. The, you know, I've tried not to, you know, strongly dislike him because what is that going to do? Is But, but, but my son was, you know, okay. One day he's his mom. I mean, this was probably in 2017, his mom, every conversation you bring politics in. And he says, this is getting a little bit tiring. <laughs> and he said, uh-huh. you know, like, can we talk about something else? But this this is the problem. Americans, unlike Europeans, are not we're not really um, taught to have conversations at the dinner table. What, what what are we taught? Do not discuss politics or religion. Do not discuss politics or religion. You know, and I think that when you get into the older cultures, they don't they, they talk about everything. I'm not saying you know that that they're perfect, but it's just I think in America we must become more educated. And I think that that's what's missing is that's, you know, when you were talking, talking about with your, you know, the Western scientists and the natives uh, scientists in dialogue with one another. I mean, I, we don't have dialogue anymore. It's, and it's almost like anyone who is mm-hmm. not a Republican isn't an American anymore. I mean, this division is just, um, it, it's just, I, it's unfathomable to me that we are no longer the American people and I think that making America sacred again is what's needed. I, I think well, you're you. Um, you know, you touch on so many ways to bring us back home, but you also have said this is this is where this you know, like the electoral electoral college. The original inception of it was really good, but then we've gotten away from it. You know, the, the, well, the, the I mean, when we have. Touch on that just a I don't little think bit I said it was really good, the Electoral College, really good. I mean, I, 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 but it had a specific purpose to avoid autocrats. Right. That, that, that part. Right. That part is the only part I talked about. I didn't actually address the, the full issue of the Electoral College is really complex, and it's wrapped up with slavery. So, you know, it's wrapped up with, with representation right. of, and, and, call, and having slaves be three-fifths of a person. Um, so, I, no, I, I, I wouldn't say it's just good, yeah. but it was complex. It was a way to try to balance between urban and rural America, um, and, right. and that 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 part is good. But but I did want to I did want to uh, uh, chime in on your all your, your your stream of consciousness just now because I think that that um, dialogue is really good for including differing beliefs and allowing them to coexist. You know, almost like oil and water coexist in mayonnaise. <laughs> you know, there's an emulsion, right? Right. And there's they're they're not they don't really mix, but they but they respect the integrity of the difference, and they and they and they create a uh, a functional uh, whole. Um, you know, liberals and conservatives have to act that way, and they they this is not the same as saying Republicans and Democratic Party because both parties have been. Uh, you know, have been conservative or liberal. It's not. It, it's not the property of one. You know, the liberalism and conservatism are not really the property of political party. That, that's a dance. 
that shifts, that changes. You can't really trust anything mm-hmm. that a political party says because they're, they're reacting to the other one. But conservatism mm-hmm. and liberalism ultimately are two energies that we need, both. That's one of my main mm-hmm. points because, because you know, the, the, the impulse to progress, we have to have that. Otherwise, we would be stuck in, in inertia. But the impulse to conserve, we have to have too. But my argument with, with people who might identify as conservatives is that look toward Europe. American conservatism has become only about money. And that's what, you know, that's reflected in the Trump presidency, of course. But, but conservatives should be conserving the light, the air, the water, and the earth. And they do that in Europe. And I think it has to do with the difference uh-huh. in our histories, because America was this land of plenty. Everybody, right. everybody thought it was extended forever, but that's changed now. Uh-huh. So we have to we have to rethink that, and we have to and and if we can rethink how we how we interact with nature, then we have a chance of uh-huh. of interacting better with each other. That's really where I'm at. Right. I end with here is. In your last chapter, From Politics to Love, A Journey from Fragmentation to Wholeness, um, it's beautiful. And I, I, I want to uh, read this quickly. I know we're almost at the end of our time. Um, but you quote Sorry. the spiritual activist and author um, James O'Day expressed this eloquently. Mm. Breathe into your heart so that it opens and empties. Do not try to keep it full all of the time. Let it empty. Let it fill. You will discover as you do so that you do not have to invent love or gratitude because they are natural forces in the universe that could not exist without them. And, you know, the beautiful saying in Sweat Lodge is the, 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 the leader always says, uh, and I cannot, I'm, I'm going to mess this up because it's been a long time since I've said it, but I know you're going to know it. Whole, whole, tonka, tonka, to all my relations. You know, are, do you re- mm-hmm. you know what it, that saying is? And it's basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. Thank you. And I know, I know, but I just forgotten it. I'm like, oh my goodness, and I'm Cherokee, so oh my goodness. At any rate, um, I love how you end it at the end with it has to be we are honoring nature because it's all part of it. We've been given this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful world, and. The more we honor it and come back to this love and gratitude, it's that's what it's all about. And oh, you, you you tied it all in. I love how you've done. I, I mean, I'm going to reread. I didn't read every single word because um, I'm moving, and I but I read most of this, and you covered so much. You, I'm, I'm being honest. I normally read every single word, but this time I'm like, this one. I put it in the the stack that's going to okay. my new place where I'm moving. No, a lot of things are like, I let go of 1,500 books. Can you imagine anyone having that many books? But it just happened. But in this book, listeners, you know, I just want you to know he covers everything from the very beginning and then gives, uh, Glenn gives us this hope at the end of, you know, we're going to get through this. I mean, you didn't say, say it like that, but you're bringing us back to nature, bringing us back to honoring, you know, the, the different, there's, there's the different people that have come from all over the world. And that's, our melting pot. That is our United States of America. And that's the religious diversity. And all of us are unique. And yet, we need to honor each other again. And I think that um, the civility, you mentioned, you talked about that, you know, when the civility of politics changed, and, you know, onward we go, but onward we will go in a whole new way. So, Glenn, last words of wisdom, what would you like to share with us? 
Well, um, how much time do we have? One minute. I'm sorry. One minute. Like, okay. Yeah. That's okay. I know. So I you have to talk to quickly. No, 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 no. I, I know that this is a difficult time for people, you know, in the COVID era. And, you know, people have died. You may know people have died. You, know, you may know um, people who have become sick. Um, and even the people who are, who are healthy may feel confined and trapped. But I just, I just want to suggest that in my, what seems to, what I see happening here is some very big transformation underway. Recently, I had a coyote walk alongside me in the wild without crossing my path. And I think that the message I was getting was that the coyote was telling me he felt seen, that he acknowledged my acknowledgement of trickster energies in, in the book I wrote, Original Politics. And I think that, you know, what we're going through now is a kind of forced transformation. And, and, and uh, I've been seeing snakes, a lot of snakes. I even saw a snake climbing a tree. And I think that what, what is ha- happening is 